0: For me, sitting at home during COVID with my daughter, uh, having lunch with her. Obviously, she wasn't back in school, and when she was, well, she was doing virtual. She'd come down and have 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 lunch with me. I think that, and not driving to down. I, I live in a town called Weston, which is on a good day, forty-five to fifty minutes northwest of downtown Miami. When you put together the game schedule of the Miami Heat, which is forty-plus home games a year hour plus each way commute with traffic. You know, these are um, 40 plus nights away from my from my daughter. Um, nights where she'd have to stay with her mom, I'd have to ask off for the games and you know, I'd be get, coming home some nights at 1130 12 o'clock at night. Uh, it really made me think am I impacting this world the way I really want to be impacting this world. And I came to this conclusion less than a year ago. And I did something, I'm not a very risk, I'm not, I wouldn't, I wouldn't consider myself a risk taker, put it that way. And I resigned without having anything lined up.
1: Hello, my friends, I'm your host, Victor Rampaterat. Welcome to the show where we share the lived experiences of ordinary people just like you. We're amplifying your voice to provide a different perspective on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Our goal is simple. Humanize DEI so we can move closer to a culture of belonging and respect. Imagine landing your dream job, then walking away from it all. That's exactly what my next guest did. Sports enthusiast Casey Delapena Pena worked at the corporate office for the three-time NBA champs, the Miami Heat. Then COVID hit. Arenas were empty, and as the director of brand partnerships, the outlook was a bit hazy. Couple that with some challenges in the support system, He did some honest self reflection and decided to walk away from it all to join Junior Achievement South Florida. Now he gets to help foster youth to become tomorrow's leaders. It's always great when I get to have my friends on this show. I'm happy to have you here, brother. How's it going today?
0: Mr. V, good to see you, my friend. Uh, All is well here in South Florida. We were chatting pre show. Uh, Got a little bit of a storm coming this weekend. And we actually, the true story the the clouds are coming in right now. So, if I get a storm and if the Wi-Fi does go out again, like what happened last time I talked to you, we'll retape this some other time.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And just so everyone knows, I have a nickname for KC. It is now Lightning Boy. Uh, <laughs> the last awesome. call, there was some some sounds that I'd never heard. It could have been on National Geographic easily. Yes. And I was like, man, that is some. like I really got to understand Florida weather on that last call. But thank you so much for being here.
0: Of course. (laughs) Listen, man, you know, you and I met during um, a very interesting time in the world's history. You and I met in the thick of COVID. Uh, We still have yet to meet uh, face to face. I still want to share some umbrella drinks with you one of these days. uh, But until that uh, point happens, you and I are going to have to do this. But I can't wait to meet you in person, my friend.
1: Absolutely. Likewise. And you know, the cool story is that we actually grew up in the same city just 500 miles apart so I grew up in Malvern Scarborough he grew up in Malvern PA so tell me what was it like growing up in Malvern PA
0: Malvern Pennsylvania is a fantastic town to grow up in it's about 30 minutes west of Philadelphia I'm from born and raised from the Philadelphia suburbs big Philadelphia Eagles fan big Philadelphia sports fan. Malvern was predominantly white and there was a you know some sections that had some um, some diverse uh, areas. Uh, but, you know, my high school class was, I would say, 85 to 90 percent Caucasian. I had a handful of friends who were minority. Uh, but Malvern, like I say to people in South Florida, if I say I'm from Malvern, Pennsylvania, people will say, you know, how much land did your family have or how many horses did, does your family have? Um, and I say I wasn't from that part of Malvern. Uh, you know, I'd say middle class upbringing uh, in Malvern Borough, which has, uh, you know, small rancher, ranch houses, but it was a great place to grow up awesome place to, to live. And whenever I get home to Pennsylvania, it's a, it's a great place to
1: visit. That's amazing. And so, I mean, growing up there, where did you go next?
0: College for me was University of Massachusetts. Um, I was the, if not the first, I think my grandfather went to school, but he was in uh, seminary. He was a he was a minister, religious school. So I was the first uh, member of my small family to go to a four-year university. Um, and when I visited University of Massachusetts, my senior year of high school, I said, you know this is for me. It's about 300 miles away, about a five hour drive. so you know my mom couldn't come knocking on my door when she wanted to. It was too far away for her to just show up, right? So I loved UMass and as soon as I got up there, I got into the sports management program, uh, which was which you will kind of talk about here kind of led me down this path. But you know for me, I loved growing up in Malvern, but at the same time, I had a lot of friends who went to Penn State and I said, you know what I kind of want to just get out of town and, and kind of go explore, so that's why I chose the University of Massachusetts.
1: Did you notice when you got to University of Massachusetts that there was a a bit more diversity there than you would have experienced at Malvern, PA?
0: Oh yes, I mean UMass is for those who don't know Amherst, Massachusetts. There's it's called the Five College Area. There's University of Massachusetts, Amherst College, Hampshire, Mount Holyoke, and Smith. And so we would find ourselves, you know, going out to the bars on weekends, hanging out with. Amherst College kids with Smith girls, Holyoke girls. I say Smith girls and Holyoke girls because they were both all female. And a lot of kids, a lot of forward thinking, progressive thinking. Uh, So Amherst was a great place to kind of learn to be a man, I
1: would say. That's amazing. I love that. And I mean, you've always had this sort of Ingrained in you, sports enthusiasts like you've always been about sports. Every time we talk, there's some story that is being referenced. And I mean, where does that come from?
0: So, I was raised mainly by women, and I think that's funny because I think that's where it came from. I was, you know, my grandfather was back in when he was alive, it was just myself and my grandfather. So, I think I was just I came out of the womb as a boy's boy, right? And I was I wanted to play sports, be sports, eat sports, consume sports played football, basketball, ran track, did all the sports growing up, and, you know, once I found out what the heck the Philadelphia Eagles were, they just took my took my heart right there. Uh, I've been an Eagles fan since, shoot, I was five or six years old, so, wow. um, yeah, yeah, uh, it was great to see them win the Super Bowl three years ago, but, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was an interesting childhood because, you know, being raised around females, it was, um they they really didn't su- not they didn't support but I was the one who had to I brought the fandom to them they didn't they didn't really notice the photo before I was born so uh, <laughs> I I took a lot of credit in that family for bringing sports into the family
1: and i mean being a sports enthusiast and someone who sort of eats breathes lives lives it you obviously wanted to work in it and you know your your holy grail dream job if you will was to work with the Miami Heat and you landed that position. You got that. What did it feel like when you got that that position to be like I've now attained my dream job.
0: So it's funny. I say, you know, looking back it was my dream job, but you know, not the not the dream town, right? Because I'm from Philadelphia. I think I would say my dream job, my true dream job would be Philadelphia Eagles. But as I live in South Florida, that's not happening anytime soon. So, obviously the Miami Heat is a very solid replacement, you know, being in South Florida. Uh, at the time, a friend of mine brought me over. I was I was with the Miami Hurricanes prior, the college team here in the states. Uh, they have a big brand in South Florida and nationally. And my good friend brought me over to the Heat in February 2019. So yeah, when when my friend Chris brought me over to join the team at the Heat, it was just I was on cloud nine, man. I was you know all the hard work I'd put in. I was it, it felt like I was finally being recognized for who I was and what I was doing, and looking back, I think I might have put a little bit too much emphasis on my career. I put too much of my belonging into my title and into what I was doing versus how much impact I was creating. Um, I I think that, and that's when you and I connected was, you and I connected mid-COVID, where I kind of realized, and we'll probably get into this here shortly, but um, I think that, one sec. Can you take that elsewhere, real sec? They're recording me. <laughs> my daughter's chomping on an apple. Right, 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 right around the other side of the computer. <laughs> <laughs> upstairs, babe. Okay, you done? You have your phone? There you go. I apologize. All good, I brother. I could see the apple when she when you take a bite. I could see the apple thing um, or the audio moving. So, oh gosh, <laughs> yeah. I don't want that getting picked up on the audio. My daughter eating an apple.
1: It's all good. Listen, that's what this is about. These are real people, real stories. This is not, uh, you know, this is real life. Working from home and having to manage, uh, you know, kids and dogs. Like I've got my dog in the back there and there's a lot happening, right? And I think that, you know, that's really what we want to tell people is that this is not just any sort of um, regular time that we're living in. This is a very unique situation. I think that, you know, just to kind of talk about you having your dream job February 2019, a year later, we get hit with this thing. And I remember I was in Aruba and I got a text from my brother saying, the NBA just shut down. Yeah. And I'm like, he's like, are you coming back soon? And I'm like, "Uh, I probably should be, you know, thinking about maybe making my way home. But at the end of the day, what was that like for you? Because you've landed this job, you're in charge of sponsorships and, and things of that nature within the arena, and no one's allowed in.
0: Right. So I remember it was a Friday, Friday the 13th, right? Um, I think Rudy Gobert, we had a home game, I want to say, that Wednesday against Charlotte. And that night was the night that Rudy Gobert of the Utah Jazz tested positive, if I, if I recall correctly. Again, this is two years ago now. And we got our stuff that Friday, and they said, you know, plan on working from home. We're like, okay, yeah, see you in a week, right? That was two years ago. Uh, or I'm sorry, that was over a year ago, excuse me. So it was strange, man, right? Came home, uh, started settling into that whole COVID working from home thing. And then to make matters worse, I wouldn't say make matters worse, but to make matters better in a way, the Miami Heat go on this crazy NBA championship run through the bubble in Orlando. All the while we're sitting at home and it's very challenging to, as you can imagine, to put together partnerships and create partnerships in the middle of the biggest pandemic this world has ever seen. Uh, companies in 2019, excuse me, 2020, weren't looking to spend, uh, multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars on partnerships with teams. Uh, so that made the job obviously very challenging, uh, at the time. And uh, I'm not complaining. I think we all were going through challenges too, but specifically as it, as it pertains to my world, business shut down for a good few months before we could even have conversations with with any of our larger partners and or prospects to see at least what the future might look like uh, as it pertains to partnerships. So yeah, it was, a, it was an interesting time. But like I said, then we went on this championship run, we ended up losing to the Lakers. But that was challenging too, because had we been in the arena, we'd have been fist bumping and high fiving each other in the arena right? But we had to do it from home on our separate couches all throughout South Florida. So that was challenging.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of complexity, I think, that went into sort of managing COVID in different industries. I think some industries really saw prosperity and um, more so than they had seen before. And then there were some industries that really took a, a beating, right? And I don't think we really understand some of those stories that have come out of, you know, 2020 yet because there's still a lot happening as... Mm-hmm we're navigating this pandemic that is still very much alive in a lot of respects. It's dominating the airwaves. It's dominating um, some of the business culture. People are still determining, are we back to work? Are we not back to work? All this fun stuff. Mm -hmm. There was a really interesting thing that happened as well that really shook the world on top of COVID. And that was the death of George Floyd. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it had a, a huge impact right across the board, but Tell me a little bit about what that was like for you sort of sitting there in a sport that is dominated by a lot of black males, right? So, I mean, there's obviously different ethnicities, but a lot of the athletes are black males. What was that like sort of witnessing sort of how the NBA handled things? How did it unroll? How did it unravel from your perspective?
0: Yeah, uh, that's that's a great point or great question. Excuse me. You know, the death of George Floyd was, uh, I mean, he was murdered, right? I don't think there's any, he was found guilty and and he was, he he was, he was murdered. Um, Being 40, coming up on 43 years old, this is not the first time I had seen this, right? And, you know, you're a person of color, Vishal, right? You know what it's like to walk a mile in your shoes. I don't know what it's like to walk a mile in a black man's shoes. I have no idea. But one thing I did early on in my life was I had a sympathetic heart would say, listen, just because I'm not going through it doesn't mean somebody else is really going through it. So, you know, I I remember the Rodney King verdict clearly. Clearly, I remember Rodney King in L.A. back in, you know, what's that, early 90s. Um, I grew up outside of Philadelphia. I see the crime, you know, I I hear about the crime in Chicago. I live in South Florida, I see the crime in Miami. And that's not just to say it's just, you know, black on black crime, but I I think that the NBA, which is, you know, to your point, um, dominated by, by African Americans, I was sympathetic to the cause, man. I mean, you, you kind of have to be because the NBA. I think the NBA did a great job of um, supporting the message um, that is equality and justice. I think that you know, and the NBA had to, right? The majority of their uh, players are are black, and they have to support their players and what their players have gone through. So um, it was a very interesting time to be at the Heat because we were working on you know several different initiatives and how do we. How do we put out the right messaging to support uh, George Floyd, his family, and, you know, people of color all across the world? Um, because this, you know, I, one of my friends there, I said, this isn't the first time or the last time this is going to happen. This is not going to be the last time a, a police officer um, takes liberty with somebody. But I also know that I, I'm also smart enough to realize that there's always reasons why these things happen, right? Right. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, some people say, could George Floyd have reacted differently? Sure. Right. Uh, doesn't mean he should his life should have been taken. Um, and I think that there's always things there's always ways to de-escalate. Uh, and I think in the situation with Derek Chauvin in Minneapolis, he escalated. Right. Where he should have done was deescalate. Listen, I know plenty of police officers. I know plenty of great policemen, um, you know, and it sounds like there are a few bad apples every now and again that spoil that bunch. Because, um, I, I, like I said, I do in a lot of folks who. Actually, I have a friend of color right now going through the Miami Police Academy training, um, and I actually I said to him uh, last week he's a soccer fan like I am we were supposed to meet up at last week's soccer game Inter Miami soccer game we didn't get to do it but I said man this is probably the hardest time in the history of America to be a black cop I said what are you signing up for man right like what do you know what you're getting into he said yeah I do. Um, and I, I wish him the best. Um, it's 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 a challenging career choice, but he he wants to do it, and I support him fully. So I think back to your initial question: crazy time. Um, but I think the NBA did all it could to help um, promote justice and equality during a very, very, very some might call it dark period uh, in the nation's history.
1: Definitely, and it's uh, it was one of those. Times where a lot of people self-reflected, you know, you and I have had many uh, private conversations. I know where your heart lies. I know the sympathy, the empathy, the compassion that you bring to the table, because Mm -hmm. like you said, there are plenty of people that are people of color that are friends of yours and, and colleagues and people that you admire. And it's not really about their skin color, but the quality of the human being. And um, I think that when we can start to look at things through a lens of understanding and, and respecting that, you know, we haven't necessarily walked a mile in, in someone else's shoes to understand the plights of the people or the individual um, who is dealing with that. And yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, I wish I could have, would have handled the situation better. I think, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty 20 and anything, but you mentioned something that I've always said, especially when it comes to police officers, is the de-escalation, right? I think that that if we can learn to recognize that we're in a moment of maybe heated debate or argument or escalating towards a place that may not be productive, it's being able to recognize that and say, how can we now de-escalate and bring this back down to maybe a normal conversation and not ending up with someone on the ground and a knee somewhere where it shouldn't be. Um, these are really, really tough conversations to have, but ones that definitely need to be had, Mm -hmm. um, within law enforcement and kudos to your friend who's really trying to champion that because, you know, I've got a lot of friends who are in law enforcement as well. And some of them whose families do not respect the fact that they're in law enforcement because of the color of their skin and saying Mm -hmm. you're siding with them, but, realistically you're putting your hat in the arena and trying to make a difference. And, you know, I definitely wish your friend the best of luck as he tries to make a difference in his community. So that's really important.
0: Absolutely.
1: So, I mean, racism and discrimination is something that is, is, is very predominant in many places, um, you know, in terms of my experience. And, and once again, that's my experience. I've, I've lived this, I've seen it. Uh, Sometimes you become numb to it. Have you ever witnessed anything along those lines in seeing, uh, you know, racism and discrimination just sort of from the observation standpoint?
0: Yeah, Vishal, you know, like I said, I grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood, um, but one of my better friends in high school and all through, well, yeah, all through middle school and high school was, was black. Uh, he played football with me. Uh, I run into him every now and again up in, up in Pennsylvania when I'm home. Um, and I would see it with him on the football field, right? I would see it in the hallways. Uh, he was an athlete. And I think a lot of people looked at him as an athlete first. He was a very good athlete. I think people looked at him as an athlete first uh, and as a person second. Um, When I got to college, I hit it off my freshman year with a black football player at the University of Massachusetts. He was from my area uh, in Pennsylvania. We hit it off both Philadelphia Eagles fans and we chose to live together our sophomore year. And had a a blast with this guy, right? We're still close friends. He actually just texted me right before I I got on with you today. He lives up in Boston, another interesting place for a black man to live. Uh, There's certain, um, you know, going to the University of Massachusetts, Boston has a right or wrong, a stereotype of it being a somewhat racist city. Again, folks in Boston, I'm not saying that's the case. That's what they're kind of, what you hear out there. Um, But I remember a specific time with, with my college roommate, we walked in a party. Uh, I was at, you know, a house party and we go in and I heard somebody say, who brought the black kid? And my college roommate is 6'2, 20. Played free safety in college. Not a small guy. Probably not a guy you want to upset. You know, if you want to upset somebody upset somebody like my size, uh, five, eight, don't pick on the, the six foot two football player. But I looked at him and he said, he said, "You know, I, I'm not sure who said that, but take it back, or I'll have the whole UMass football team here within 15 minutes." Lo and behold, they apologized. Um, you know, I know he saw a lot of stuff, and living with him my sophomore year, I think, you know, I don't know that I saw a lot of incidents with him. I'm sure he saw he saw them, right? But when I was with him again, he's he was a kind of a more high profile athlete in college. Uh, they actually won the national one double A. It was called one double A. Uh, national championship i want to say my junior year in college and so he was a, a, a very good member of the football team so he was kind of high profile on campus but um, aside from that I, I didn't see much with him now moving forward living in New York City for 10 years right all over the place racism overtly I, just everywhere um, and now I live outside of Miami and I spent the better part of seven years working in Coral Gables in downtown Miami And you see it, you know, you hear it, you hear the words being, you hear the slurs. I think it's kind of hard to think of an exact point when I heard it, but I do know that it's out there. Um, And like I said, I believe it's out there because I see the reaction of my friends' faces, my friends of color in their faces. So I know it's there. Um, I don't know if it's gotten better or worse over there. So I I don't know, but I do know that I'm sympathetic towards their cause and um, I want to do whatever I can to help them.
1: And, and that's why you're an amazing human, because like I said, uh, you know, we're doing this show, but I've spent many a conversations with Casey on these topics. And, you when you know, you really got to understand the heart of the person. I think that's what the, what the really important thing is, is that, you know, um, you have a good heart. You mentioned something, though, that kind of like sparked a light bulb, if you will, in me, was that people saw your college roommate as an athlete first and a person second. Mm-hmm. Can you can you tell me a little bit more about that? Because I, I find that to be really interesting.
0: Yeah, sure. So I, I think, I think I don't want to correct you, but I think it was, I, I mentioned that about my high school, a high school friend.
1: Yes, but, yes, sorry. Yes, you're right. I
0: can also, you know, bring that right over to my college, college roommate, same thing. I, I think we, and this came out right after somebody, you know, I don't know if it was on a t-shirt or something, but, you know, celebrate, you know, I forget, celebrate black men the way we celebrate their culture or celebrate black men the way we celebrate their music, right? Some, I forget, something along those lines. Forgive me for not knowing exactly. And that to me is kind of that. It's kind of one in the same for thinking of my college roommate as an athlete first. Um, he was on scholarship, right? He was your prototypical student athlete, right? Didn't get straight A's, tried his best, but wasn't a straight A student. But I think that people, when we'd walk, we'd, we'd walk through campus together, you'd see it, right? Because you would be wearing a UMass football shirt or something like that. You could tell that people were just, oh, he plays football. Uh, oh, you play football? Oh, cool. You know, how's that going for you, right? Where with me, I'm not a high profile person on a college campus, right? I was a regular run of the mill Caucasian sports management major at UMass. So it was always interesting just seeing the way people treated him versus me. It was kind of not like celebrity status, but it was kind of people would be would be also remember we're in Western Massachusetts, where aside from Amherst, Massachusetts, Amherst, Massachusetts, is in the middle of a bunch of cornfields, you know, and then you have this, I think it was like 25, 26 thousand undergrads at Amherst. I'm sorry, UMass. Then there's Amherst College. So outside of our bubble of Amherst. There wasn't much diversity in that entire, because you're, you're, you know, you get off the highway and you're driving UMass and you're driving through cornfields and, and all of a sudden, boom, you're at UMass where it's super diverse, you know, a lot of Asians, a lot of blacks. We actually had a large Cape Verdean population because as I understand, a lot of the Cape Verdeans moved to Boston and then they came to UMass, which is obviously a public school. So it was a very diverse campus, but you could tell that people were looking at Brian, like, Hey, not that he's not one of us. That's, I think that's a little strong, but you could tell, Hey, He's an athlete. He's wearing UMass football gear. And then the basketball players, when I was there, I got there right after, uh, if you remember remember this name, um, Marcus Camby. Marcus Camby left right before I got to UMass. And he was one of UMass's, uh, aside from Dr. J, he was one of UMass's biggest uh, basketball stars. And the basketball players were treated like kings. You know, that was clear. I remember clearly walking back to the dorm and seeing them taking like, you know, the spots right up front in the dorms and parking illegally and no one no one telling them any different which i thought was very fascinating because why because they're athletes you know and that's a whole nother i think interesting conversation Mm. what right so i think that i don't really know how to put a nice pretty bow on this on this specific question but i'm telling you man i would he got treated differently well and
1: it's it's funny because you know i think that sometimes as well it's 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 athletes want to be seen as a person because they are a person, right? I mean, yes, I'm celebrated because I do these amazing things and I'm able to uh, perform at a different level than other individuals, but I'm a human being. And I think that, you know, when we get down to it, I think that we all want to have that ability to be treated uh, with dignity and respect. And, and, and sometimes, you know, for example, getting into the, the house party and, and having that said to you, it's like, I'm just trying to be here with my boy, my roommate, and we're gonna have a good time. And Mm -hmm. now you're calling me out based on the color of my skin. And, 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 you know, that's not cool. Right. So I just thought it was really interesting how you said that, because I think that in a lot of respects, and I don't know a ton of athletes, but I know a few of them and you know, they're just regular dudes. They're super nice people.
0: I was just going to say, it's so silly that You know, we put, again, I think that's another, I think it's so silly to put athletes on this pedestal, right? When they're normal people. Um, I'll tell you another quick story. I I used to work for a company whose founder was in Orlando and we'd go to Orlando, Florida a lot to visit him. And we would always stay in the hotel where the opposing players for the Orlando Magic would stay. So say the Lakers were in town, the, the Cleveland Cavaliers were in town. They would stay at this hotel where we would stay. So I remember one night I'm I'm at dinner in the hotel lobby and LeBron James is there. The Cavaliers are in town. And I would laugh because we'd see them out on the street and they'd be walking back with bags of McDonald's or bags of Subway in their hands, right? This is the way they were raised. They weren't raised with silver spoons. Like they're raising their kids. So when you see the way a lot of these professional athletes are raised, you see and you kind of laugh like these, these are normal people. Um, forget about skin color. These guys are normal kids. Maybe they weren't raised the way I was, um, or maybe I wasn't raised the way they were. But at the end of the day, when you have people like LeBron James and the entire crew, like they're downtown Orlando, they can go to any restaurant or afford any restaurant they want. And they're coming back to the hotel late night with McDonald's. That's that's us, man. We're all human beings. That's how, we, that's how we roll.
1: We're all human beings. And you know what? Out of all of this stuff that happened through sports and the Miami Heat, you came to a realization, you did some honest self-reflection, you came to a realization, and you jump ship to move into a passion of yours. Do you want to share with me? Because I, I think it's so beautiful how we talked about athletes and how you've worked in that space and helping brands to really connect with their audiences to now you're helping to build and foster tomorrow's leaders. Yeah. And regardless of color, creed, and religion, you're making an impact and difference with young people. Tell me about that journey that you took and sort of the work that you are excited about at Junior Achievement.
0: Thank you for asking. Um, You know, COVID was screwy for everybody. COVID put a lot of thoughts in people's heads. Do I want to be doing this? What do I want to be doing? And for me sitting at home during COVID with my daughter, uh, having lunch with her, obviously she wasn't back in school, and when she was well, she was doing virtual, she'd come down and have 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 lunch with me. I think that and not driving to down I, I live in a town called Weston, which is on a good day forty five to fifty minutes northwest of downtown Miami. when you put together the game schedule of the Miami Heat, which is forty plus home games a year, hour plus each way commute with traffic, you know these are 40 plus nights away from my from my daughter. Um, nights where she'd have to stay with her mom. I'd have to ask off for the games. And, you know, I'd be get, coming home some nights at 11.30, 12 o'clock at night. It really made me think, am I impacting this world the way I really want to be impacting this world? And I came to this conclusion less than a year ago. And I did something. I'm not a very risk. I'm not, I wouldn't, I wouldn't consider myself a risk taker, put it that way. And I resigned without having anything lined up. Uh, that's the first time in my career I'd done anything so crazy. And I knew I'd be okay. I knew that the universe would throw something at me. And it did. A um, few weeks into my um, vacation, as we can call it, <laughs> of resigning without something lined up, I met a local president and CEO of a, of a nonprofit, Junior Achievement. Her name is Lori Salarulo. And I met Lori and we hit it off. And within a few weeks, I was working with Junior Achievement. Um, I had never heard of Junior Achievement before I met with Lori. I laugh because I tell Lori, you know, Lori, while I love, I am passionate about what we do, I'm also pretty passionate about you. Like you're, you're the one, I can't say no to you. You're, she's an amazing lady. So Junior Achievement is all about financial literacy, workforce readiness, entrepreneurship, Filling in the gaps of the American school system, you know, math and financial literacy are not the same thing. You know, one plus one does not talk to you about savings or your credit score or how to get a loan or what's a 401k, right? Or how this is. And this is I'm coming up on this. My daughter's going to be 10 in a few weeks. How to apply for college loans. This is stuff we don't talk about in the American school system. Um, what this organization brings to South Florida, specifically Broward and Southern Palm Beach, is invaluable in my mind. So I appreciate you bringing it up. So my, my role right now is I'm one of the development directors at Junior Achievement. And we, long, long story short, we prepare kids today for their futures tomorrow. Uh, it's pretty, It's That's our basic core principle. Um, we do that in so many ways. We have summer camps build a biz summer camp so the kids come in and actually build a business from ground up. Uh, we have a high school program where the kids will actually invent products. We call it spark tank instead of shark tank. They'll come in, they'll source their own project, their, their own projects. They will source their own investors. They will get investors. Their parents will invest, their friends will invest. And then we put, we have a competition that's actually judged locally by a local entrepreneur, entrepreneur of our choosing. He'll come into our building and judge. But we have a mandate with the Broward school systems where every fifth grader in Broward public schools and every eighth grader in Broward public schools comes through our program. They take 20 hours of curriculum uh, in the classroom taught by the teachers there or JA volunteers or parents. That culminates in them visiting our building, which is a 60,000 square foot simulated city with, you know, 30, 40 plus simulated storefronts where the kids will come and we'll put them to work. Each store will have a CEO, a CFO, a marketing director. And during their day at Junior Achievement of South Florida, they will work. They will take out a bank loan from our truest bank partner. By the end of the day, if they don't have the loan to repay, they haven't completed their task correctly. Right. We all know we take out loans. We have to pay back those loans. We're starting these kids with this in fifth grade. Right. So we're going to touch these kids in fifth grade. We're going to touch them in eighth grade, and we're going to touch them hopefully again in eleventh grade. Uh, we're working on another on a bigger mandate with high school, with the eleventh graders in Broward. Uh, Lori's working on that now as we speak. We'll, we'll see what happens there. But it's a fascinating program. It's something I wish I had. You know, I told Lori the first time I met her, my first job out of school was at ESPN in New York City, Upper West Side. Um, first day of first day of work. Do you want to sign up for the four hundred one k? I don't know what the hell a four hundred one k is. <laughs> How can I sign up for it if I don't know what it is? I hadn't been taught this stuff, right? It's, it's no fault of my mothers or my families. They saved their money, they put it under mattresses, right? Put money in a savings account. Back when savings accounts would pay five, six, seven percent interest, no more. You know, when you tell somebody, I had a, I had a, I had a conversation with a, with a colleague the other day. Do you know when you give your money to a bank and putting it in a savings account, do you know what they're doing with that money? They're taking your money and they're investing it to enrich themselves, right? So I'm not sitting here saying I'm anti-savings account that's not what I'm saying but I can tell you personally I don't have this every bit of my savings is invested in stocks whatever whatever I don't have a savings account um, I just don't believe in them and I think those are they're going by the wayside each day so again while I think I'm a little extreme that way um, that's how I that's, that's what I believe in so yeah I think that again I'm I'm a graduate of the of the School of Hard Knocks as it comes to financial literacy. I taught myself all this stuff. And now, you know, when I'm home, I'm on Twitter reading about, you know, the next big company to invest in. Uh, You and I talked when we first met about, you know, you were early Shopify investor, right? Like, I love that stuff. That stuff's really cool. I got in Shopify way too late. Right. But these are the kind of things that I'm trying to teach my daughter. We talk about Roblox. Roblox is this game that a lot of kids are playing now. I think it's ages like 6 to 10 or 6 to 12. These It's these user-created content, and they went public not to Longville. So we're talking about buying my daughter a share of Roblox stock so she can understand how the market works, right? So, again, I'm coming at this from a very graduated angle, but the fifth-grade program, the eighth-grade program, the high school program, it's all about filling in the gaps of the American school system as it pertains to financial literacy and making sure the kids understand that, hey, if you're not going to go to college, what's your plan? Completely fine. You don't want to go to college. but What's your plan? You know, what are you going to do? Uh,
1: I think that's beautiful and, yeah, that's and, cool. and really, in today's society, necessary. Yes, because there is, like to your point, you know, getting to your first job, being asked to fill out paperwork where do you want to distribute you know your 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 money are you going to do a 401k are, in canada we have something called an rrsp like a registered retirement savings plan are you going to contribute does the company match like we don't talk about this stuff yeah. we talk about 1 plus 1 what is pi yeah. you know we talk about history and all i'm not saying these things aren't valid conversations not, to right. be had But I mean, even today, we were looking at something internally, and I was like, let's Google it. And within seconds, we had the answer. And you and I growing up, we would never have that opportunity. But, you know, being able to access new technologies, new information, we're able to make different sort of decisions based on everything that's available. And it's really teaching these young people how to think, which, you know, You're a CEO. You're a CFO. You're a middle manager. Like, what does that look like? You are managing budgets. You're handling investments. You are, you know, uh, taking loans. You are creating opportunities. And I mean, at grade five, I think I was worried about like the cute girl that was sitting next to me, and if it was okay to like ask her out. I hadn't even. I didn't even discover girls until middle school, right? (laughs) So to your point,
0: I'm certainly not. We're certainly not learning about, and, and again, you know, it's a, the program in fifth grade is not a, you know, here's what a 401k is. We're just on like the basics, right? Save, spend appropriately, live live beneath your means, that kind of stuff. At the end of the day, if you have money to save, or, you know, we one of our big things is pay yourself first, right? And I still think today's society still just doesn't grasp that. When that paycheck hits, I try to put at least 20% away from, from the moment that paycheck hits, put 20% away. Now, I've also lived my life where I don't have massive debt, right? I rent my townhouse. That's a personal choice. Obviously, now is not a great time to be buying a home. I rent, and I've been renting for quite some time, and I'm okay with that. And I put, I'd say, every, every other week when I get paid, it's 20% away immediately. And then I see after I pay my bills what's left over, and then I'll put even more in after that. So, you know, my daughter will be um, given a good set of tools uh, just by growing up. Uh, As my daughter, but my other concern is there's an underserved community here in South Florida and across across the nation that don't have parents like us, right? That um, aren't going to take the time or that they just don't have the wherewithal to teach their kids about this stuff, and they're behind from the get go. I posted an article on LinkedIn this past week. I don't know if you saw it, but it's John Hope Bryant from uh, Operation Hope and the CEO of Delta Airlines, and they're talking about the workers that they hire. The workers that they're hiring in their late 20s and early 30s, they're already they're they're being hired and they don't have any financial skills at t- in their 20s and 30s, right? So at that point, we've missed the boat big time. You know, they 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 need to know this stuff early on. But this is this is a real problem, um, and we're doing what we can um, to find a solution. So visit your local Junior Achievement office today.
1: I think that's an advertisement right there. You know, you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking to myself, I want to feel like this guy might be more passionate about junior achievement and what you folks are doing than the Philadelphia Eagles.
0: This is, this is different because I actually feel like I'm helping, helping people. Um, we're in my career before, and I may have said it too, I feel like the first 20 years of my career was about me, and I really want to make the next 20 years about other people. How do I help? How do I serve? How can I help? just make this society better. Uh, I think I have just this amazing network of friends and business associates. Like, let's talk, let's figure this out, right? How can we, if it's one kid we can help, let's do it, right? You know, you and I connected with uh, with Trent, um, Trent's in New Hampshire over, over COVID. And Trent runs this amazing nonprofit group that they do a bicycling trip to an underserved community every year. And they bring these you know, they bring these bikes into communities and the kids, you know, as Trent says, you know, coming out and they're riding these bikes and I listen, I'm, I'm killing Trent's messaging for him. So I apologize, but it's an unbelievable, it's called Mutt Society, right? And he told us about this. And when I met Trent, I'm like, that is pretty amazing, man. This guy owns a very successful agency in New Hampshire, but on the side, he also has this amazing nonprofit that's built around bicycles and BMX and bringing these bikes to underserved communities just to, It doesn't matter how you help, it just matters that you're doing it, right? And that to me was meeting Trent was you, Trent, Darren, reconnecting with Darren after all these years, an absolute godsend. So I'm I'm blessed that you're in my life, man.
1: Likewise, you know, having good people who are really trying to move the needle in whatever way they can. And I mean, listen, we're all here trying to do what we're trying to do to make the world a little bit a better place before we leave. You know, you've got a daughter, I've got a daughter. You know, we're really focused on ensuring that this place that we live in is not the same. Like when we got here, we've experienced many things in life. But unfortunately, you know, some positive, some negative, Mm -hmm. that's life, right? But I think that as parents, if we can do something to make the world a little bit better for them, you know, prepare the road for the child as well as the child for the road we can make an impact. And you're right, Trent's organization, Mutt Society, is phenomenal because you know I've been and and you have as well, and Trent and Darren have been to these places where people don't have as much. And you know, bicycles are the the mode of transportation and they will purchase bicycles for underserved communities and ensure that they have transportation. And I just think it's a beautiful thing. And more people like you and Trent And Darren and, you know, the people that are on this show and people that are out there and And people that are out there that are not even talking about it, but are doing it. I think that if we can talk about doing it and not just talking about it, but actually putting it into action and making a difference like you folks are with Junior Achievement in South Florida. And really, Junior Achievement is not just South Florida. It's it's right across the board. I mean, uh, when you told me...
0: It's a worldwide organization. I didn't even hear.
1: Like, I had never heard about it. And then I was like, oh, we have one here in Toronto. Like, it's crazy, right? So I think that there are people out there doing amazing things. And if we can support you in any way, shape, or form, it's really important. But you mentioned something about sort of society. We always ask every guest, how do you think as a society we can move closer to a culture of belonging and respect? What are your thoughts on that, Casey?
0: I think this this situation... It's an easy answer, and I think it's a hard answer, right? I think the easy answer is just to be be sympathetic. You know, I think that when we see a news story or hear a story about something, you know, for cancer, right? Um, just because cancer doesn't affect me now or my family now doesn't mean that it won't. Just because racism hasn't affected my family now doesn't mean it won't. Let's say my daughter grows up and she falls in love with a black man. I don't give a damn, as long as he's a good human being. But I'd say the same thing if she fell in love with a white guy. Same thing, right? I don't care. You better treat her well, right? As a a girl, they better treat her damn well. But I think that if, as a society, we can just take a moment and listen and try to be sympathetic towards what other people are going through, I think that goes so far And while I said it's such an easy solution, but I think that there are so many people in this world that are so hung up on preconceptions and stereotypes and that kind of stuff. Um, If we were to try to wipe the world free of that, I know it'll never happen. But if people just take a moment to try to understand, you know, when you tell me your story and what you've been through, you know, all of the situations you've been in. Right. When I first met you, I didn't tell you this. I'm going to share this. with you. I never shared this with you. I Googled your name. I saw the news article, I saw several, I think I saw several news articles, right? I'm like, but my first thought was good for this dude. You know what? That was a time in your life that you're probably not proud of, but you had to go through that time in your life to get to where you are today, right? And I think the world of you because if we can just be sympathetic towards folks who go through stuff that we don't, that changes a lot of stuff moving forward.
1: Boom. (laughs) <laughs> I appreciate I appreciate you brother and you know what I think that's a wonderful answer and and for people who are listening it's about listening right and and lending that sympathetic ear and 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 realizing that it may not I love that it may not affect you today but it's not to say that it won't affect you in the future so if you can do the right thing today why not yeah. right and that goes back to how you're preparing young people today for the future how people today can prepare themselves for the future. And hopefully as a society, we can move closer to that culture of belonging and respect. Where can people find you, my man?
0: So email address, Casey, C-A-S-E-Y at J-A Florida.org. Uh, my website for, for the J-A, for the chapter down here is J-A But again, if you haven't heard of junior, forget junior achievement, South Florida for a second, look up the, the look up junior achievement. There's probably a chapter near you. It's a worthwhile organization, and I would highly recommend that people take a look at it, right? If you're at that point in your life where you're comfortable or you're able to give or donate your time or volunteer, look at this organization. Um, because especially if you're a parent, a lot, of, a lot of people don't know about it, but it's a pretty amazing organization to get involved with.
1: That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time. It has been an absolute pleasure. I love connecting with you sort of one-on-one when we're, or, or in our group uh, of guys that we get together with just to kind of talk about life. But today, hearing your story, what you've gone through, what you've experienced and sort of like understanding where that sympathy and empathy comes from that you've had to embody through the course of your career and now the amazing work that you're doing with Junior Achievement and the champion that you've become for really helping the organization to grow is truly amazing. And I'm so proud of you. And I can't wait to see what the next 20 years actually produces. And those umbrella drinks. Absolutely. Let
0: me take a second. Thank you too. Um, I know you've, I know your life story. And, you know, I think a lot of times you TV video podcast hosts put the spotlight on the other person. But in this case, um, if you don't know Vishal, um, reach out to him he's a great fantastic human being a hell of a father uh, has a beautiful daughter named Maya um, didn't talk about her once today but he's a great dad great guy and kudos to you my friend too for, for doing everything you're doing uh, up north
1: I appreciate you my man and there you have it folks the truth according to Casey Delapena thank you so much my friend you got it brother thank you so much for listening our show is sponsored by Discourse we build belonging into the dna of dei you can visit us on the web at discourseagency.com or check out our youtube channel discourse agency make sure you hit that subscribe button leave a review drop a comment and most importantly share it with a fellow human thank you so much for your support and remember your truth is your experience bye for now